I've got to wonder, because I'm so good at pride. I know so much about it, right? I think so. I'm a proud dude. Everybody sitting here, let's just already admit we're proud. Tonight, the Lord is going to help us understand how we're proud. But every single one of us, every single day, deals with the fact that we want what we want, and we don't want anybody else to come in the way, right? We don't want siblings to come in the way. We don't want parents to come in the way. We don't want friends to come in the way. We want everything to go our way, or else most of the time, there's one of two responses. There's either silence, you isolate yourself from the people that are getting what you want, or you lash out in all the wrath that you can muster. You know where that comes from? Our pride. We just simply want what we want. But the good news is that we have a God who is a very humble God, who at the first sight of pride in us did not annihilate us and say, that's it, I'm going to make somebody else that's humble like me. He said, no, I'm going to pursue you, and I'm going to run after you, and I'm going to catch you, and I'm going to change you, and I'm going to fill you so you can choose me with everything you are. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we've been learning about this week. That's the God that's going to pursue us tonight. So if you would, open up to Daniel chapter 4 in your Bibles. Pretty long chapter. I'm going to read through the chapter. I want you to follow along. I'm going to read through the chapter, and it's, uh, I'm going to read it a little quicker, okay? So I, I just hope and just hang with me there, okay? I don't want us to, to treat the Word of God lightly, but I want us to be able to expound it and not, I don't want you daydreaming while I'm reading. That's what I'm really trying to say, okay? Because I do that. People who read too long, I start thinking of other things. I start thinking, wow, I'm really tired because I'm, I'm focusing on one thing, and then I'm really hungry because my stomach just growled, and oh, I need to go to the bathroom. We, we do that. So I'm, I'm going to try to spare us from that so I don't run off and go to the bathroom because I'm boring myself reading. Okay? We're good? Yeah, we good. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah. Some of you are alive. I like that. That's helpful tonight. Maybe. I didn't say you're all here. You're just alive. Some of you got that. Let's read. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Time out. This is Nebuchadnezzar. Remember him? He's the guy that said, I want to create a statue for me all about me, and all gold. I'm not taking this, uh, I'm not other metals. I'm gold, and I want everything to be gold because my kingdom's going to last forever. And if anybody doesn't like it, and they don't bow down, they're going to be burned alive. Same Nebuchadnezzar, writing in first person. He says this, It seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. Hold on a second we got to pay attention to what he's getting ready to say. How great are his signs. How mighty. Now look, this, see how it's written uh, uh, like poetry? It's a song. He's worshiping. Let's pay attention to what's going on. Check it out. How great are his signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Now we got the last page of the book. Now we're going to read this, the rest of the story. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. I, as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, who, uh, he who was named Belteshazzar, after the name of my God, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O oh, Belteshazzar, Chief of the magicians, because I know the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw in their interpretation. 
The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw, and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, lest the beasts flee from under it, and let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump, leave the stump of its roots, roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers and decision of the word of the holy ones to the end of the living, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you're able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached to heaven, it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which beasts of the field found shade, in those branches the birds of the heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And, be, and be, because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from the heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender, of the grass, tender grass of the field and let him be wet with the dew of heaven and let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. It's a decree of the Most High which has come upon my lord the king, that you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the most high rules the kingdom of heaven and gives it to whom he will. And as it is commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed, uh, be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may be perhaps a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is, it is spoken. I don't think the voice from heaven started like that. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. I did it again. The kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox and seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of heaven, a kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, capture this, and ate grass like an ox. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does, he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. 
for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we have the gift of your word, that we, we also have the presence of your spirit with us to be able to make this word sink deep into our hearts and come alive to, to bear fruit and to be a sustenance for us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would, uh, would now be rivers of living water coming, flowing from us, that we might see Jesus and taste and, and, and be satisfied and be pleased by which, what we are, are seeing and tasting of you. Help us understand us. Jesus, help us understand you, that our lives would forever be different from this day forward. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Do y'all know what this is? Well, my girls, of course, know. This is the piece of resistance. How many of you have not seen the Lego movie? We need a, pr oh, oh, hands going up all over the place. All right, you can put your hands down. You need to see the Lego movie. Because the Lego movie gives a, a, one of the clearest pictures of what it means and what it, our culture is looking to empower every person in our culture with. So let's just give you a storyline. Remember this, uh, you got Emmett. Generic construction worker. He tumbles on the piece of resistance. It's connected to his back. Everybody wants to get it off of him. Uh, 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 Wildstyle is, who's a DJ name, um, Wildstyle wants, she wanted to be the special and find the piece of resistance, but Emmett did, and she's angry with that. And he's like, you're so beautiful, but you're angry with me. And why are you angry with me? And then they keep on going, and they, the prophecy about the special was that it would be the most interesting, what is it? No, the, it's something the most interesting, the most extraordinary person. Very good. <laughs> I was forgetting extraordinary. And the piece of resistance was that to which was to go on the craggle, crazy glue. It was to go on the craggle to stop Lord Business from gluing all of the Lego pieces together so they could be free to express themselves and build what they want and so they have to go to cuckoo land in order to build what they want which is way far away from lord business and his craggle and there's a piece of resistance but here's what they discover emmett is just regular he doesn't have an original thought he has to follow the instructions all the time and they're getting irritated with him and they don't know why but all of the movie here's what they wanted him to know he is the special when he believes he's the special. I know it sounds like a cat poster, but it's true. That's there you have it. Those of you know who the know the movie, you know exactly there. Now, now you need to go watch the Lego movie. That's just you need to repent for not doing it yet, and then just go watch it. Not right now, but later on when you get home, it's cool. Now, think about this. Our culture tells everybody, you are the special, and you need to believe it. Now, you can take a cat poster, and it says believe, but you know you just can't believe in something. You just can't believe to believe. Belief and faith always has an object. You have to put your faith and trust in something. So believing, you're putting that trust in something. But if you, if you have a fill in the blank after believe, it's believe, then fill in the blank. Every time we go to fill in the blank, we will fill it in with ourselves. So we, be, we believe self. And we enjoy what we think, and we like our own reasonings, and we want to be able to do things our own way. And so we think, I am the special, and now everybody in my life needs to honor that, and I'm going to take this and just stick it on my back, because I can walk around as the special. At the end of the movie, Emmett tells Lord Business, he can be special. So everybody's just a happy family because it's special, right? And when you go deeper, here's what the culture doesn't understand about us. Because the culture says, inside of us is really good. All the bad stuff's outside. So we need to change the outside. 
Change who you're around. Change how you look, maybe. Make, you, make your inside come out a little more. Lady Gaga, born this way. That's where that song comes from. It's this cultural thing that says you need to look inside of yourself. Katy Perry's firework thing. Same thing. You need to look inside of yourself. Let that express because that's who you really are and everybody needs to accept you. That's what our culture says every single day and that's what you hear every single day. And now in our culture to tell somebody, you know what, I don't think so. They're like, you hate me. I mean, I just cannot stand for this bullying and this hate that's coming from you because you don't agree with me. It's like, no, I can still appreciate you. I just, I think, I just think you're wrong and your train of thought is really selfish. That's all I'm saying. Our culture doesn't know how to hear that anymore. To disagree with somebody is to hate them. Because you need to look inside, you need to applaud and praise everything that's on the inside. So culture said inside, good. Outside, bad. The Bible says this. Inside, very bad. And the only thing to cure the inside is to get something outside of us. A righteousness outside of us that we can never accomplish on our own. We can't earn enough. We can't perform enough. We can't pay enough. We can't build up that righteousness inside of us because it's not there. We need a righteousness that comes from outside of us, only found in Jesus, that when we trust him, then it comes to fill us in the presence of his spirit. And then we have a righteousness where God, and this is the beauty of justification, where God, in, in one moment when we trust him, he says, you are not guilty of your sin. I'm taking, I've taken all of your sin and put it on Jesus, and now here's also what I'm going to do. I'm going to take all of his righteousness and put it on you. So every time God looks at us, every single time, he sees Christ's righteousness every time but we in our lives continue to be selfish and we continue to buy into the cultural thing that inside of me is good and outside is bad and if we don't believe this here's where it happens it happens almost every day in our homes when we don't get our way if my siblings would just change if i had different parents if i didn't have this life if I didn't have the surroundings that I have, my life would be better. That, that's code for I would get what I want because really inside of me is the good stuff. And outside of me is everything that's bad. Now here's what God wants to do. He wants to take what the, the and this is Ezekiel 36, he says he takes the heart of stone out and he puts a heart of flesh so we can experience his presence. He puts his presence there. And now look, now because we have been changed on the inside, now we can affect the outside. Not because we've, we've figured out something, it's because God's spirit is in us and that by obeying him, we spread Jesus all around. I have no idea what's next. What's the next picture? Oh, dreams. See dreams? Nebuchadnezzar gets a dream. We chase dreams in our lives. Do you realize that? And Pastor Keith talked about that last night. We, we chase things that we think are going to give us pleasure. You know, years ago, uh, the dream, the, there was an American dream that everybody wanted. Everybody wanted a particular house, and they wanted uh, this many kids, and they wanted this kind of car. And, and even oh God, where we come from, just 30 minutes from here, uh, people still live that way. They still live to capture the American dream, to, to have life the way we want it, comfortable, significance is felt, we're in control of everything. All that is is we're chasing idols. But what... What Nebuchadnezzar did, remember it said he was at ease in his house because of his prosperity. He was rich. He didn't have any enemies because he had conquered them all, everybody that was near him. So he's sitting back thinking, this is great stuff. And God gives him a dream. And God gives dreams on purpose because, one, he wanted to tell Nebuchadnezzar, and he gives us dreams to do the same thing. He wants us to realize that we're chasing something that doesn't exist. See the picture in there? It looks like water on the desert horizon, right? This happens when heat interacts with your eye. As you look at the heat rising off from the desert sand, it glimmers, and that glimmer looks like there's water there. And so imagine traveling in the desert, and you're, you are you, like thirsty beyond all thirsty. I, ha I really am going to die if I don't get something to drink. I am thirsty to death. Now you see something, and your eyes start, to, your mind starts to play tricks on you, and you start going faster, and so you're even burning up more energy. But as you reach, you get closer, and all of those heat waves 
dissipate because now you can see through them and it's nothing. If you didn't know what a mirage was, that's why I put a picture of mirage there from Incredibles. That's why. That's my little title for the picture. Now, check out what happens. God gives dreams because he's going after something in our hearts, but he wants us first to understand that maybe what we're chasing is going after the wind. Look at Ecclesiastes 1.14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity. That's what King Solomon's writing. And a striving after wind. And you see people, you, you can't, you, chasing the wind is just weird, right? It's all, like something's wrong if we're chasing the wind, but we don't think so because in our lives, if it makes sense to us, we're going to go after it, and we're convinced if we, just, if we just grab onto it, then we're going to have the peace and the security that we want. If we just grab onto it, then we're going to understand something. But look, every time we go deeper into ourselves, here's what we find. We find more fear. We find more insecurity. We find more, find more of a, uh, an illusion of control in our lives. We're never comfortable, never satisfied. That's when we look inside of ourselves and God uses dreams to capture our attention so we can look at him. I think he still uses dreams that way today. But let me introduce you to uh, Asena O'Neill. Look at the little box right there. Asena O'Neill, an Australian teenager with more than a half million followers on Instagram, that's over 500,000 followers on Instagram, made headlines after announcing that she was quitting the platform because, look, this is what she said, it is contrived perfection made to get attention. She means it's all made up. It's all a mirage. It doesn't exist. So we're chasing after something that isn't real. But everybody sure is convinced of that. I know, because I, I, have, I have a few daughters, so I know kind of how girls think. You looked at that picture and you were like, man, she's gorgeous. I am so ugly. Now watch what she said about that picture. I blew it up so we can see it. It says, edit, please like this photo. I put on makeup, curled my hair, tight dress, big comfortable jewelry, took over 50 shots until I got one I thought you might like. Then I edited this one, selfie for ages, the selfie for ages on several apps just so I could feel some social approval from you. There is nothing real about this. Now here's your struggle right now. And I'm going to go back to that word that was shared about crossing that river. One of the fears about crossing that river, because on the other side really is fruitfulness. But look, you might not be able to see it. It doesn't look as lush as maybe you think you're existing in. But some of you are struggling to believe that what she wrote right there really is true. Because you would rather believe the picture more than the explanation. We're chasing a mirage. And we're going to stay stuck. We're not going to venture over to the things that God has for us. Venture over by faith because he calls us to do that. We want, he wants us to be with him where he is. But we have to make a decision to understand what am I trusting? What am I chasing after? Am I chasing after reality or am I chasing after a mirage that's just simply not real? Look, I hope you understand. That's powerful stuff right there. Look, Instagram, I, I looked up some... Uh, Little statistics on Instagram today. Uh, Instagram, and what's the fake one? Finstagram? Spam, spam. spam account. Spam. But isn't it called Finstagram too? Or is that just, no, that was like three months ago, Pastor Jeff. I mean, come on. Just, look, I finally at that point, when I was a youth pastor for a long time, I was up on everything, and now I have reached that point of old age where I ask my girls, what, what does that mean? I have no, what is that? Now I also, and, and the judgmental, judgmentalism and pride in me, when the little slang talk, I'm like, that's dumb. That's just a stupid saying. That should not even ever be said. So that's where my pride wells up. <laughs> now, uh, what was I talking about? Oh, Instagram and spam accounts. You know why those came up? Here's how those came about. Because most people, and your demographic from, uh, from uh, what, 13, when you're supposed to get it, people get it before that, till about 24, that's, that's the people that are using Instagram. And uh, you know why your parents don't use Instagram a lot? Because we don't like pictures of ourselves. 
you love taking pictures of yourself. Like, it's like a famous person, I'm in the picture too. They're right over my shoulder. You love it. It's something we don't understand. It's like, no, we're not going to get out of the picture. No, y'all can take a picture. That's fine. I don't need to be in it. But Instagram, most people's Instagram page has only about 25 perfect pictures on it. The spam is what everybody puts the real life stuff. But they have this weird connection to, I want who I represent to be seen this way by others. And somebody puts up a post. This happens on all social media platforms, whenever you can like something. If it doesn't generate enough likes in enough time, delete it. Do you understand what's going on in that moment? If I don't feel praised, if I don't feel affirmed and significant, I'm shutting it down. And then, oh, I meant that one for my spam account. <laughs> that wasn't supposed to go on my real Instagram. But what are we doing? We are creating pseudo-lives. It's fake. We're creating these fake dueling lives. And look, Jesus says, you can't serve two masters. You can't serve real and unreal at the same time. One, your love for one is going to dominate and take over the other. I know people have fake Twitter accounts. They just have this fake stuff. It's like, why, why, don't, we, why don't we be who we are? It's because we're looking to portray ourselves in a particular way that will generate enough praise. Nebuchadnezzar was looking for praise. He generated his own praise. I'm great. I'm so great, I'm going to give myself the title that only God gives himself, the most high, almighty. Those are the words that he was using. This is my glory. My glory, my kingdom. Or, and uh, if somebody, if you follow somebody, they don't follow you fast enough, they don't follow you back, unfollow. You know, a lot of times we have no, you have no idea you're playing those games. I have to say, you, I can't include myself in that. I don't have Instagram on purpose. I stopped using Facebook a couple, about 18 months ago, and it was just been brilliant. It's like, wow. Because now, well, Facebook's just, even I'm like, all right, Facebook's obnoxious, just flat out obnoxious. And then all of a sudden it comes out that Mark Zuckerberg, it, and he's leading an obnoxious company to funnel everybody to what they want to buy and what they want to think. It's like, huh, forget that. I'm proud enough to say, you're not going to tell me how to think. I'll just shut you down. No problem. But check it out. We play games. We have no idea we're playing those games. It can become natural. And when they become natural and there's no type of mechanism in our lives to check that, to check it in our hearts to say, wait a minute, am I giving too much of my affection to this? Has this become idolatrous in us? Here's the effect. If there's no check, our pride continues to well up and we go, I need this and I want this. And if anybody gets in, the way, in my way, watch out. But I hope you can benefit from a, a, a Senna O'Neill who really turned the tables on the truth of what she was doing. In the article that I found in The Guardian, there were other uh, pictures where one, she had, she was going to a dance, I think a prom, and she had, a, a, she had two poses, uh, and she said countless pictures were taken to try to find the right pose in order to post it. We do that, right? You take a picture, you don't like it, you delete it. When we were growing up, you couldn't do that. It was click, wind the camera, to the next picture, and you had to finish the role and get this, bring it to a place that would develop the film, and you had to wait a couple days to get the pictures, and then all of a sudden they came out this one hour developing, and it was like, whoa, an hour? Yes, that is lightning fast. So we don't have, an, we don't have a fascination with pictures. And it's not like you went through and like, oh, this is bad, this is bad, this is bad. It's like, no. I paid like 12 bucks for that camera, the disposable camera, and I'm going to keep it because I'm going to make sure that we have pictures. Because usually somebody's thumb is in there. My grandmother, I love my grandmother. She, every time she took a picture, there was a, there was a, a, a fingerprint <laughs> in, the, in the screen. She had one of those long skinny cameras. The flash was up on top, and her, her finger was always right there in the viewfinder. <laughs> but it's great. But we, now, my cousins and I laugh about that. It's like, of course, Momo had to do that. She, she had her finger and all this. Like, Momo took that, well, you know, because her fingerprint's right there. Different, different types of things. But listen, no matter what the generation, 
pride's exactly the same. But what my point is, is you have an access and an ease to go through things so fast that you might be caught, get caught up, getting caught up in a game that you don't even realize is happening. Let's talk about realities. There's a warning that comes for Nebuchadnezzar. He gets a dream. Oh, I forgot. There it is. It's Job 33. I want to read this. For God speaks in one way and in two, though man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls on men while they slumber on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and terrifies them with warnings that he, listen to this, that he may turn man aside from his deed and conceal pride from a man. You know what Job's saying? God will go to extraordinary, he will give a dream so we understand we're not in control. How many of y'all dream a lot? Like every night, vivid, you're in it, and then you walk around in your sleep and stuff. How many of you don't dream? That's me, I'm raising my hand. I, I, if I dream, I don't wake up during them, so I don't remember them. So that means when I, when I dream something, immediately I know, all right, Lord, what do you want to tell me in that? I mean, the last dream I had that I recall was uh, in October last year. Yeah, look, I enjoy my sleep. I think all of y'all, they're like, something's happening. You're not getting restful sleep. Walking around, people are like, hey, hey, you're out of your bed. Go to bed. Look, I go to bed. Bled. I go to bed and I sleep. That's what I do. But you know what that dream was about? Me not being in control. Me not being in control, that's what the Lord communicated to me immediately when I asked. And I, I, it's amusing for me. And so it's like 4 o'clock in the morning, and I wake up. It's like, all right, Lord, what was that for? And the Lord very, very faithfully said, if you're trying to be in control of the situation, I don't want you to be in control. If you want to know who the dream, it was really funny, and I'll tell you afterwards. <laughs> it was Papa in a... I'll just tell you this. It was my father-in-law in a hospital gown driving one of those big bread trucks in the middle of the night, and he hit a, a um, I'm chasing him in another car, and he hit a, a power line with kindergartners, this is weird, kindergartners <laughs> crossing the street at midnight, like in a class, holding those. So look, I woke up and I went, Lord, what in the world is that about? You are trying to tell me something. <laughs> the kindergarten kids. I still don't know what that one is. I, he hadn't told me that one. All right, check this out. Look at, look at number two. Raised to raise. That first raise is to level something. The, the dream that Nebuchadnezzar got was there was a tree that was really tall, and what does the watcher come? The one from heaven, the holy one, says, chop it down. Cut down the tree, chop off the branches. What was big and huge and strong has been reduced to nothing. And listen, this is a means that God is going after a pagan king, somebody who thinks, I mean, this is the height of pride. We don't, we don't walk around going, I'm God. Hey, did you know I'm God? And look, I'm going to have a statue and I want you to worship me. I'm God. We don't do that. This man did that. He walked around proclaiming himself to be God, the God of all gods. And God says, I'm going to cut you down. And in the mercy that God has for people, this is not, he wasn't Jewish by, by ethnicity, so it's not like he had this covenant with Nebuchadnezzar and he's honoring the covenant like we see so many times in the Old Testament, God doing that. This is a pagan king, a God-hater, and God-usurper, glory-stealer, thief, glory-thief to where he's, God's going after him too. That means nobody's left out. God goes after us. If we are his people and we have a relationship with him, we have a promise that he goes after us. Look at Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. <laughs> Do you ever think about pride that way? Those who walk in pride and arrogance are an abomination to the Lord. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. 
Nebuchadnezzar's being warned, and Daniel even warns him, hey, uh, look, I, I hope this is for... Now, Daniel, being a Jew, he had every reason in that moment to be like, Nebuchadnezzar, finally getting what's coming to you, man. You didn't learn. You didn't learn when you saw Jesus in the fire with my three friends. You didn't learn, so now you're finally getting what's coming to you. He doesn't do that. What does he say? May this dream be for your enemies. So even, even Daniel in that moment is humble. He's not proud. Daniel's like a really, he's just one of those unique biblical characters that you just don't see any flaws. You know, he, was a, he was human, so he had sin, but we just don't get to read about it. He didn't have these big catastrophic failures that we read, like King David and, and Peter. He didn't have those. He's a faithful steward of God's grace to Nebuchadnezzar. May this be for your enemies and for those who hate you. And then he appeals to him, repent. Practice righteousness, amend your ways, change in order to practice righteousness. Maybe there'll be a lengthening of your days. Daniel doesn't know the end of the story at that moment, perhaps. So he's like, this could be the end for you. But then we have Nebuchadnezzar becomes what his pride looks like to God. You ever, you ever wonder why Jesus' death was so ugly to see? And so excruciating, and we, we protect ourselves from it, usually. If we see a really nasty picture portrayed of somebody hanging on a cross and bloodied, we don't stare at that. If, if we do, something's a little off. But we usually we, we, we hem ourselves back. It's like, whoa. Do you know why it was such a bloody affair? And why it was so gruesome, the fact that Jesus' back looked like a, a package of ground meat that you get in the store? because he had been whipped so much, it's because God's showing, this is what I see sin like. But every time we think we see sin, it's like we're taking ground meat and we're putting some whipped cream on top of the cherry. And it's like, but it's good. It's like we, we're, we're missing it. We don't understand it properly. It is grotesque. And God says to Nebuchadnezzar, I'm gonna give you over to what's in your heart. And God will do that in his wisdom. He does that in order to capture us. But look, he is, he's, he's animalistic. He's dehumanized. Listen, sin dehumanizes us. It makes us less than God's image, image bearers. And he wants us to be his image bearers in all purity and holiness. And every time we sin, every single time, we reduce the image. We mar it. We, we hide it. And then after we sin, we're embarrassed and shameful, so we hide even more. That's what's happening in that. But C.S. Lewis helps us understand pride a little bit too. There is no fault which makes a man more unpopular and no fault which we are more unconscious of in ourselves. He's saying this, we see pride in others, we don't see it in ourselves. And the more we have it ourselves, the more we dislike it in others. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. If you want it, this is good. If you want to find out how, prou how proud you are, the easiest way is to ask, how much do I dislike it when other people snub me or refuse to take notice of me or shove their oar in? I have no idea what that means because this guy was British and he wrote this back in the 1950s. Maybe sooner. Mere Christianity, Evan, you know when that was written? Can we pause? Evan May did not know the answer to a question. So look, it's usually when people, people ask me stuff like that in the middle of a sermon, and it's like a Bible reference. And I'm like, I have no idea where that is in the Bible. Thanks for just putting me on the spot. I have no idea. How much do I dislike it when other people snub me, refuse to take notice of me, or shove their whore in, or patronize me, or show off? The point is that each person's pride is in competition with everyone else's pride. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. So when you want likes, what you're really doing is saying, I want to generate more likes than the other person that I'm comparing myself to. He says, Ask yourself, how much do you like it when people snub you? We hate it, don't we? We absolutely hate when people snub us. Uh, years ago, when I, was, when I was in college, I was really convicted 
by the Lord because when, when I was in a group of friends, and we were all Christians and stuff, and we hung out, we had a great time, but every time they had a story, I found myself giving another version of the story, but it was usually a little better experience than their story. And I remember being convicted by that, going, man, that is just proud. I want to one-up everybody in their stories. And so I have, to this day, I have made, you know, 20 years later, I'm making conscious decisions to say, well, I'm not going to tell that story. Because that would just shine, it would take light off of that person to shine it on me. Now, nor do I go around like, <laughs> drawing attention to yourself, huh, telling the story. That's great. Who else wants to tell the story? Draw attention to themselves. That's idiotic. But what we're doing is one-upping. We're comparing. I have a better story. I have a better story. I have a better story. We've got to be careful because that's how pride creeps in. We've got to be aware of it. And look, it's, it's grotesque and God hates pride. Period. He, it's an abomination to him. One of the seven things that he hates, pride. James 4. This I actually had, uh, Evan read 1 Peter 5 a little while ago. I actually had that in my notes and I took it out um, to read this one. But, but check this out. I have it longer. Let me find it real quick. James 5. I have, I'm going to read 5 through 10, so that's why it's not in your notes. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your, your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, listen, and he will exalt you. Do we find ourselves on the opposition side of God because of our pride. Now, a lot of times we don't recognize when God's coming after us. What I love about uh, chapter, verse 5 in James 4 is that he says, he yearns jealously over the spirit he's made to dwell in us. This is awesome. You know what this communicates to me? God will not let me be foolish too long. Because if I am to be uh, an image bearer of God and exalt Christ with my life, with my words, with my actions, then, then God is going to make sure that's happening. So when I have these weird moments and seasons where I just feel like sitting down spiritually and not doing anything and coasting, God still comes after Because really, we just think we're not, we think we're coasting, but we're actually going backwards and, and regressing in our spiritual life. So God says this in that promise, I'm coming after you. You will not get away with your sin. I'm coming after you because I love you too much. My spirit is in you, and I want you to know the good and the satisfaction of living for my glory and my kingdom. So I know God's always going to come after me. No matter, and sometimes I don't know I'm drifting, and he still comes after me. But he comes after me usually with people in my life who will check my motives. And that's what... Evan mentioned earlier. You know, we have relationships in our lives, and I look, I, I hate doing that. I hate sitting across from somebody and be like, so, how's your heart? What are you yearning for? What are you, what are you passionate about? Because it sounds like it's a little off. It sounds like you really are just being selfish and wanting glory to come to yourself and not glory to go to Christ. Most of the time, people are like, yeah, that's right, but... When I know, because I've had experiences where people are just oblivious to it. So you tell them, well, you know, I'm, I'm concerned that you're going after your own significance in church life. Maybe you're, you're volunteering too much. You're doing too much because you want people to, to thank you and praise you for it. I've had people look at me like, hmm, I don't think so. It's like, <laughs> um, you are, so let's try to figure out how to rephrase this. And then it's three or four conversations later. It's like, I've got to bring this up again. Oh, man. I don't like that part of pastoring. I love you. Let's just be together and love Jesus. It's great. 
Oh, I got to tell you, you're wrong. I don't like that. But look, every single, it's not just pastors who have that responsibility. Every single Christian has that responsibility. Every Christian has the responsibility to go into somebody else's life and say, you know what? I just don't see Jesus enough. I'm not being critical. I'm not being judgmental. I want you to grow. But I'm not seeing Jesus enough in your thoughts or in your words and your actions. So it's probably not in your thoughts. He's probably not this, on the throne of your heart and be able to, to exude his presence through your life. But let's be, let's be real-er. For you, in your situation, your season of life, God's warnings most of the time will come through your parents. And you hate that, don't you? I did. I hated it when I was a teenager. Grew up in the church. My mom was in church. My mom's still in church with me. And she used to tell me this all the time. All the time. Whether I, whether I got a good grade on a test, or whether you know, I was athletic and so I was getting awards, uh, playing sports, she would always tell me this. Jeff, don't get cocky. That was a, an 80s reference to don't get proud. Don't get cocky. And I, boy, my pride would just... <laughs> Why can't you just be appreciative that I got the trophy? Why does she have to say that every time? Do you know what she was doing? She knew me. I was her son. Still am. She knew you're going to take this and you're going to own it in a way and it's going to be destructive later on. And it took years, y'all, because what happened is that my pride showed up in my competitiveness. And when I was so competitive on the ball field, I had to win. When I didn't win, I got angry. And when I, when I made an error in baseball or something, I got angry. That wasn't right. My mom soothed this, sue it. My mom saw it. Back when I was 12 years old, she saw it. But I hated it. And look, you know, you know in your home, you, you avoid your parents because you don't want to hear them correct you. And you think all this is is just a bunch of correction. Can you ever say anything? Uh, can you ever appreciate anything that's going on in my life? Yeah, parents do have a place to grow and being able to affirm you as you're growing in, in the Lord and you're doing good stuff and all that stuff. But listen, you also have the responsibility to, to receive. My parents are in my life to humble me so I don't act like my tree is reaching the heavens, and I've got a name that is replacing Jesus' name over my life. They're in your life on purpose. Your siblings are there on purpose. Now, they might, sit, they might not be sitting down with you all peaceably and stuff and saying, you know, when you took the remote and you really wanted to watch Science Channel, um, it seemed rude, and just uh, maybe pray about what was going on in your heart. <laughs> Most of the parents, we're not doing that. <laughs> but you are angry. They're angry. You're angry. But it's those moments that we have to pay attention to because it's those moments that God's coming after us, y'all. God's the one coming after us. Just a, a few months ago, I was uh, spending a week fasting and praying and just, I like to do that periodically, just say, Lord, I'm listening. And started the fast on a... Um, uh, I forgive us, Sunday or Monday, but this now Thursday, Thursday night, there was a meeting at church, and the meeting didn't go like I wanted it to go. And now I could have been like, I haven't eaten in a week, so I'm a little ornery, and I'm, no, I didn't do that, because I knew God caused that meeting to go exactly like it was, exactly like it did, to capture my heart, because I want to control over something. I wanted, I wanted my way to come about. So we need to be sensitive to every aspect. Oh, I forget who said this. What, I think John Newton may have said also, uh, I have a quote from him. Embrace, or Andrew Murray, embrace every humiliation. <laughs> think about that. Embrace every time you trip and people are laughing. Embrace every time you say a word wrong and people repeat it. Embrace my children in my life for that. <laughs> I embrace them. They're constantly, when, when I finish preaching on Sundays, like, Dad, you said this instead of this, and you said this instead of this. So I'm hoping they learn to hear Jesus. 
because Jesus doesn't stutter. <laughs> All right. Oh, look, Jordan's got a list. <laughs> Stinker. That's not right. All right, look at that next picture. See that stump that's there? Here, the grace of God. <laughs> stumped. You stumped? We'll get ready afterwards. Everybody's going to be stumped. Watch. When God comes after our hearts, I know I'm going too long, y'all. I apologize. But God goes after our hearts, and he doesn't completely annihilate us. He doesn't annihilate Nebuchadnezzar because he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to teach you something, and after I teach you something, I'm going to restore you. And God does this in cycles in our lives. He reduces us to pretty much nothing. But listen, there's always a stump. Remember in Isaiah, when we, he, when we read about the stump of Jesse that the righteous will grow from? Here's what I think happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He was reduced so he could understand that the man that he saw in the fire with the three was the king of all glory. And when he understood that and his mind returned and he came back to his senses, he submitted himself to God. Now, I also think Nebuchadnezzar got saved in that moment. And I think we're going to see him in heaven. Isn't that wild? That's the Bible that we get to read. That's what's going on in God coming after people. Listen, he comes after our hearts because he wants us and he, he captures us and he draws us to himself and he reduces us so we say, I don't want me to be known, I want Jesus to be known. And I want him to be king over everything. John Newton said, what a mercy is it that he will take so many wise methods to hide pride from man. Now look, the, the title for tonight is Who Gets to Claim You? Bottom line, Jesus gets to claim you. We try to claim ourselves, but Jesus gets to claim. My question is how big is... Sorry, went in front of the speaker. I wasn't supposed to do that. It's because I was holding Jesus in a box. Hallelujah. Look, Kurt Roberts from Lafey got me this. About 10 years ago, I figured. 10 years ago, he bought me this. I've never taken it out of the box. It's still in the box. Never been opened. It's vintage. Look, it's still taped on the sides. I have never opened it, and you're not going to get it in your hands to open it tonight. What's really cool is that uh, he got five loaves and two fish, so you can multiply that, and this little jar is water on one side. You flip it over, it's wine, so he makes the water wine, and then his hands glow in the dark. This is like action figure Jesus, totally, huh? Well, no, no, no. It's deluxe Jesus. Here's why I bring this out. Listen, this is why Kurt bought this for me. Because, absolutely not. No, it's got a way sentimental value, too. Because I used the same example in a sermon, and he bought this for me. He said, How big is your Jesus? Most of us live like he's this big and he's behind this cellophane plastic thing. And most of the time, we don't even see him. How big is your Jesus? Is he something you can manage? That's what Nebuchadnezzar wanted God to be, something he can manage. But Jesus comes to us, y'all, and he says, I cannot be contained by you. I can't be contained by your mind. So remember when he reveals his glory to Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration and they hid their faces? It's because if they continued to look, they would have probably been blind, but they may have been annihilated because they saw Jesus in that moment. And Nebuchadnezzar saw Jesus, but it didn't have the effect. And God said, I'm taking everything away. So it has the effect that Jesus isn't something that's manageable to you. He's something that is huge. He's the king of all glory, and he occupies space in our lives that we don't have control over. He says, I am. And we say, yes, you are. Take over. Take over. Don't live as if you, you have a puny Jesus, Savior, because he cannot be contained. 
He is, he is incredible, and he is unstoppable, and he comes toward us, and he wants us. Turn the page. There's a, a quote there from Abraham Kuyper. He says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Now look, see that grid? That really is one-inch squares. So think about this. I didn't have time to put this on a clear, transparent page because I thought about that. I said it would be great to be able to take this and hold it up into everything that you do in life. So you walk home. You see parents and siblings in your room. And Jesus says, mine. And you go to school. And you see the desk that you sit in every day. You see the path that you walk. You see the transportation that you take. And Jesus says, mine. You hold it in front of your friends. You hold it in front of your romance. Everybody who you like. You hold it in front of them, and Jesus says, mine. And you take that everywhere with you in the world. Everything that you see needs to be seen through this grid, and Jesus says, mine. And he's not like some two-year-old sibling. He's like, mine! Jesus doesn't do that. And he also doesn't sound like a, a brat teenager going, mine! In some selfish, goofy way, he says, with all authority and all love and all grace, mine. Now check this out. He holds that grid up, and we're on the other side. And he still says, mine. He says, mine. Mine. Do you live under that type of good? Do you live under a good that says, Jesus has claimed me. I'm his. I have no rights over my life anymore. He is my life. He's everything. This is how we're going to respond tonight. Three scriptures to think about. Matthew 16, 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We have the Old Testament example of that in Nebuchadnezzar who turns around, he denies himself, and then he praises God. So look, worship is a right response to God's glory and his kingship, but our surrender is crucial. We surrender when we deny what we want and we take up what Jesus wants, but knowing that's the best thing for us. And look, God the beauty of all of this is God goes after us because he wants to be, us to be on mission with him. And we have his mission in Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The waters cover all of the sea. And God says, I want my glory through my image bearers, through my redeemed, those who have surrendered their hearts to Christ, those who are continuing to live by faith, trusting Christ for salvation, I want them to spread my glory. Which means everywhere that we walk, we wet with his glory because we're the waters covering the sea. And a, a great quote from John the Baptist in John 3.30. He, when, when people came to John the Baptist and said, hey man, Jesus is baptizing more people than you. We gotta step the game up. He says, oh, that's exactly what's supposed to happen. And he finishes the sentence with, he must increase, but I must decrease. Is that, you know, the mantra of our, of our culture says, continue to look inside for what's good. But the, the phrase, the mantra for every believer should be, he must increase, but I must decrease. Let's stand up and posture our hearts to respond to the Lord. I think there's, there's going to be opportunity for us to pray for one another. And experience the Lord, but I, I think just in, just, I think just taking a moment to sing is, would be appropriate for us to put our hearts before the Lord. But it doesn't mean you have to wait to respond. 
you know, I think a proper response to a message like this is coming to the Lord with open hands. Because in our lives, in our pride, when God gives us things, we, we begin to grasp them like this and we white-knuckle them and we're terrified for God to take them away. And so part of this is saying, Lord, I, 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 ju I just want you. I want you to have everything. I want to have such open hands and be so pleased by you that whatever you put in my hands and take away, I don't feel the pain of because you're filling me. You're my all. So the surrender that we're doing is I, I want to I come to you with open hands. I want to come to you with bowed knees. And look, we, we respond and we come up for prayer, not, not because there's something magical up here, but there's something helpful when we move our bodies towards something. And it helps our minds think, all right, this really is different. And so maybe, not maybe, the Lord's stirring you, kneel. Find a place to kneel as a sign of surrender. This is Lord. It's you. It's you I want to live for. I don't want to, I don't want to rest in my own strength. I want to rest in you. I want to take up your cause because you've claimed me. And God gives us the beauty of being able to receive his love and love him back with that love. And it keeps on going and it keeps on increasing. But as we, as we worship, I'm just going to ask the Lord to give us clarity on, Lord, what is, what's the next step for us? But right now, it's deny self, take up your cross, follow Jesus. Lord, thank you for this time that we've had to be able to, to gather your word. Father, I trust that you have uh, energized my friends so they are not tired from the day's activity.